The following sermon was preached by me, Jeremiah Cox, at the Elm Street Church of Christ in El Reno, Oklahoma. It is my prayer that you are edified by this study, and I encourage you to test all things by the Word of God. Welcome again to our live stream of our second sermon this morning on the Elm Street Church of Christ page. I will just start by saying that in between um, last sermon and this sermon, I noticed that my internet, for some reason, is going a little slower, um, which doesn't make sense to me, but it is. And um, I didn't have time to reset it because it wouldn't have come up um, in time, I don't think. At least I didn't want to risk it. Um, So hopefully uh, this runs smoothly. If it doesn't, I apologize. I'm sure that if something happens, it will be temporary and it'll come back. I don't think that it'll just cut out completely. Um, But fingers crossed that this goes well. I hope that our previous sermon was beneficial to you and helpful to you. And again, if you watched it and you are watching this and you are not a member of the church, we invite you to to study with us and ask those questions if you have any. I just want to um, note that um, with the Elm Street congregation, as we're apart, uh, let's continue to keep each other in your prayers. And once again, if there are any um, announcements that I need to make that you want me to make through this live stream um, and the audio on GoToMeeting, Um, let me know. Um, We noted last week that Lucretia lost her grandmother. We want to continue to keep her in our prayers. Um, And and a couple of weeks ago, Ruth was feeling ill and had a fever and all. I I think she's fairly well well recovered from that. But we also know that um, there's several of our members that just have ongoing health struggles. So keep everyone in your prayers that they might be healthy. Um, But especially as we're apart from each other, that we'd all be encouraged and and edified, although a part that we're edified through these studies, but also as we ourselves personally with our families study the Word of God. And I really want to encourage that, especially from the point of the last sermon, that if we're to maintain a relationship with God, um, it's of vital importance that we study. And that was already the case when we could come together a few times a week in the assembly that there needs to be a study and consumption of God's Word apart from the assembly. And how much more true is that today as we can't even assemble due to the the virus and the pandemic that we're experiencing at this time. I want to encourage you um, to set aside times, not just for yourselves, but but schedule some times for your family to sit down and study God's Word, to to pray, um, to sing songs even. We can do that. Paul and Silas saying, in Acts chapter 16 in the Philippian jail, these are matters of worship that we're not kept from doing, even though we are kept from doing them together in the assembly. And I just want to encourage you to continue to do those things and strengthen your faith in these times of adversity. We'll go ahead and have a, a word of prayer and we will get into the lesson. If you would pray with me again. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day you blessed us with. We're thankful for the time we get to study your word we pray that it is something which glorifies to you, it glorifies you in the message that we're proclaiming, that we are edified by it, and that lost souls are touched by it, and that those who are saved are strengthened by it. And we pray that all of this go to your glory. We especially especially pray for the those of our number who are struggling with their health or going through various things of of the mind and and of sorrow and whatever it may be, even if we don't know about it, that you would comfort them and that you would strengthen them during those times, especially all of us as we're apart from each other. 
during this time, and it's our prayer that this this time of being apart and this time of staying at home and the current adversity and pandemic would come to a swift end, if it be your will, but we understand that you are in control and we're willing to wait upon you no matter how long it takes, for we know that you are our God, you love us and care for us, and that you know what's best for us. We thank you above all for your Son and his sacrifice for our sins and the hope of heaven we have through that and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection that he showed us his victory over death and, and the promise of such to us as well. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 42, and we'll be there this morning. Psalm 42 is a familiar psalm to us, if not but for the first couple of verses, which speak as a deer pants for the water, so my soul um, pants for you, O God. There's actually a song in the songbook that we have sang from time to time at Elm Street, I do believe, titled as the deer. And it speaks of this verse and it elaborates upon it about how we long to worship our God as his children. And I think that this psalm will be a benefit to us this morning and I hope that you can see it as well. Psalms are really a unique part of scripture, um, if not but for their poetic nature. Um, but they're no less a part of God's instruction to us than any other part of Scripture. Consider the text of Romans 15:4 that we're familiar with, where Paul says, Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. The Psalms are a part of that. In fact, when Jesus was explaining after his resurrection, expounding to the disciples the Scripture, which spoke of the necessity of his death, it said that he did it from the law and the prophets and the Psalms. In fact, in Psalm 22, and in other places, like Psalm 2, we read Messianic Psalms, which speak of the Messiah's death, speak of the Messiah's kingdom, and speak of his reign and that of salvation. All of these Psalms are good for us, and we need to study them and receive instruction and encouragement from them. I'll highlight that idea of instruction in the Psalms. You might notice in your Bibles, in Psalm 42, before the first verse, there are inspired words. This is not supplied by the translators, but is in the Hebrew text. The, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. And that's something we actually see in various psalms, a contemplation. It is the Hebrew word maskel. And it is really a, a, uh, a word which has the prefix M, but the main part of that is a word which means to discern. Or instruct. In fact, that word maskel is translated in the 47th Psalm in verse 7 as understanding. For God is the king of all the earth, it says, sing praises with understanding. And so this is a song of, or psalm of understanding or instruction. It's a psalm that we can receive instruction from. And really, all psalms are psalms of instruction. They're psalms that give us an understanding of God's will, whether it be something specific in God's will or whether it be something that will aid us during our own struggles or our own questions and our own decisions we're having to make. This especially is labeled as a maskel or a psalm of contemplation, a psalm of instruction. So let us be instructed by this psalm. I noticed that on my computer it says we're having trouble with the video, it looks like it's about to come back on on my end. 
I don't know why it's doing that. I hope that this is, is not cutting out too much, and I hope that you're able to follow along. I really apologize for any of these technical difficulties that we may be having. And there goes my Wi-Fi going in and out again. Um, it just came back in. I'm just going to pause for a second. There's my Wi-Fi's back on. There's that. Reload the page. All right, I think we're okay. There we are again. If you got kicked off, I'm sorry. Um, get back in on the go-to meeting. Go ahead and call that number again if you need to. It looks like we're back on on Facebook. I'm really sorry that that happened. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. Hopefully we run smoothly. Picking up, though, where I left off, psalms are poetic in nature, but they're instructive. And especially this psalm is noted as a psalm of contemplation, a psalm of instruction. And we need to receive instruction from it. And I think that this psalm especially will be one which resonates with us in our time of adversity and struggle, especially as we're apart from one another. So consider Psalm 42, and let's be instructed by it. In Psalm 42, consider verses 1 through 3, where the psalmist is noting his thirst for God while in his distress. In Psalm 42, in verse 1, the psalmist writes, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? So obviously this psalmist is going through some pain and distress, and he's wanting to be with God. He's wanting to appear before God. He's thirsting for God. He says, My soul pants for my God as a deer pants for the water brooks. Kyle Delich comments on this word pants, and he says that it's not merely a quiet languishing, but a strong, audible thirsting or panting for water caused by prevailing drought. It reminds us maybe of Psalm 63 in verse 1 when David says, Oh my God, oh God, you are my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. This is not just a little panting like you may hear a a dog pant from time to time, but this is a dry panting, a great loud panting and a time of drought. This is what he's talking about. As a deer pants for the water brooks, that means the water brooks aren't there. Where is the sustenance? There's an intense longing for God expressed by the sounds of parched animals and the sounds that they make. But notice in verse 2, he identifies specifically what he's talking about. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? Evidently, this psalmist is not able to appear before God as was the custom and the law under the Mosaic dispensation. In Exodus 23 and verse 17 and also chapter 34 and verse 23, it speaks of the three appearings of the males before the Lord regarding those feast days. And that's something that the psalmist is longing for because he's in a foreign land and is kept from doing this. He is in thirst of God in worshiping him. And to add to it, he laments that there are those who continually say to me in verse 3, where is your God? This is a psalm which obviously, like many psalms, looks to a time of distress and heartache 
especially as the psalmist is separated from his God in this particular way. But he continues in the fourth verse through the fifth verse to talk about some things he remembers. Notice in verse four, he says, when I remembered these things, I pour out my soul within me. And these things are speaking of what follows. What does he remember? For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. He says in verse five, why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And so here's an individual who is kept from worshiping God as he's used to in regard to his submission to the law that he's under. And, and he's not able to do this. And he's distressed. He's longing for God. He's thirsting for God. And I know that we're going through that as well. While we're not kept from God in totality, we are kept from assembling as is our usual thing we do. And that in conformity to God's divine pattern. But we're kept from it and we long for God just like this psalmist. And what he does is he remembers how good it was. I, I remember when I used to go with the multitude to the house of the Lord. I remember when I used to go to worship and he's doing this. And, and while we might think that brings us joy, actually it sometimes brings us sorrow because he's remembering how good it was. And that's what he longs for, but it's not the present reality. He says, I pour out my soul. That's language of deep despair. In 1 Samuel 1, 15, Hannah said, I have poured out my soul before the Lord in sorrow of spirit. In Job 30, in verse 16, Job says this, Now my soul is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. But you know what he does? He calls himself really to snap out of it. He calls himself to encouragement in verse 5. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. In other words, his countenance is still upon me, and I will hope in him as he is present with me. Why are you cast down? Why, why are you so discouraged? You're thinking about how good it was and that in contrast to how bad it is now, but don't be discouraged by that. Snap out of it. His countenance is still upon you and you should praise him for that. We remember Psalm 139, which speaks of the omnipresence of God. In verse seven, David said, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Why are you cast down, he says. Hope, don't despair. And you know, he elaborates upon this in the next section of verses. Note verse 6, he says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, and from the heights of Hermon, from the hills of Mitzark. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. I want us to notice in verse 6, he kind of elaborates upon this idea of the end of verse 5 that there is still the help of God's countenance for him. He says, while I'm far away, and he identifies how far away he is, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. 
The Heights of Hermon seems to allude to the mountain range in which Mount Hermon was found. And that is identified, you might have a Bible map, at the furthermost extent of the Jordan River that's well north of Jerusalem, the place of worship that the psalmist laments he cannot be. The hill of Mitzar is unknown, but evidently is in that range. And what he's saying is that even from this great distance, I will remember God. And as we see in verse 9, I will say to God, I will call upon him, even from this great distance. But he looks again in verse 7 to the adversity. He says that these waves are crashing upon me. These billows have gone over me. And notice the phrase, deep calls unto deep. He's not just saying that here's a wave. And a little while later, here's a wave. He's saying it's like these waves, the deep, they're calling to each other. And they're encouraging each other to come and crash down on me all at once. And it reminds us of our own saying, when it rains, it pours. I think that's what the psalmist is saying here. Deep calls unto deep. I'm overwhelmed. And we know the tempestuous waters are often used in reference to turmoil of God's children. But in all of this, as he really remembers that he can still think of God and call upon God as far away from him as he is. In verse 8, he looks to a better day. He says, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night a song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. Better days are coming is what he's saying. And when those better days come, I will praise God when I receive them. I will thank him for bringing me out of this turmoil. Remember verse 5. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. His loving kindness, the psalmist says, is coming. But notice lastly, in all of this turmoil, as he remembers God and looks to God and is reminded that his countenance of help is there, therefore he casts his cares upon God. In verse 9, I will say to my God, or to God my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? As he echoes verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. It may seem like he's complaining with the words, why are you far from me, God? Why are you allowing this to help happen to me, God? That's not what he's doing. You see, God understands the pain we're going to go through in our life, especially as he sent his son to be the one mediator between God and man. He's able to identify with our pain and anguish and sorrow and troubles because Jesus experienced it himself. You see, so that allows us to call upon God and lay our pain upon him. He's not complaining. He's appealing to his rock. He says, I will say to my God, my rock. In Psalm 18, in verse 2, David writes, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. He's saying, I'm not going to worry anymore. I'm not going to waver anymore. I'm going to lift up my countenance because I have hope in God and I'm going to cast all of this on him. He can take care of it. He cares for me. That's why he says in verse 11, in echoed form of verse 5, Why are you so discouraged? Hope in God and praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. 
I want us to make some application from this psalm, especially as it pertains to our current adversity and our current sorrow and not being able to do what we've always done and assemble together and be with each other. And don't think for a second that what I'm saying is we're separated from God. We, we don't have to be in a physical realm and in a physical place, rather, to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's the exact point Jesus made in John chapter 4 to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. The true worship under that mosaic dispensation for the Jews was at Jerusalem. It wasn't at the, the mount of which the Samaritans worshipped at. And he said there is a time that is coming where it doesn't matter where you are, essentially, that true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. So don't think that I'm saying that, that we're separated from God in, in some way at this time, but we do know that the design of God is to assemble physically together and to worship God together. And to receive that mutual edification that just can't be accomplished in a form like this. And we long for that. We miss each other and we miss praising our God together. And it's hard. But think about what the psalmist is saying. And receive some encouragement by it. I want us to consider that this psalmist demonstrates a thirst for God that we ourselves need to have. And we ourselves need to cultivate. In Psalm 42, in verse 1, he says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You know, the present distress will manifest whether we have a thirst for God or not. Those who have been forsaking the assembly against the command of Hebrews 10 and verse 25, those who have made it a manner of their life, a manner of some, he says, that forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Really what this time of adversity will manifest is that they're not too thirsty for God. We know that because before this time they weren't too thirsty for God when they were forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some as we see in Hebrews 10.25. And they're not missing much because they weren't coming anyway. But you know, it's either going to manifest that we don't have a thirst for God or it's going to manifest that we have a great thirst for God because Psalm 122 and verse 1 demonstrates the attitude we should have had beforehand. And I'm convinced that us at Elm Street did have beforehand. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It was a time of rejoicing. We looked forward to Sunday mornings. We wanted to go to worship. And now that we can't have that worship, we're thirsting for it all the more. But I want us to understand that that thirst the psalmists have and the thirst that we may have right now, it doesn't just happen. It's something that must be cultivated. Consider that God calls us to that thirst. And the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In other words, I want to be right with God, and that will happen by doing right before God. But that thirst for being right before God, by doing right before God, only is available through knowing God. We paired that up in our previous lesson with the Word of God. That's exactly what he's saying. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're hungering and thirsting for God's Word. In Matthew 5 and verse 6, he shows us that thirst and that hunger is necessary for those who are children of God to be blessed. In chapter 6 and verse 34, he further identifies this thirst in an applied form in a practical way and the people who have that hunger and thirst for righteousness manifest it through prioritizing in their lives. 
He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. The people who really thirst for God's righteousness, they are the people who prioritize that. In the things they do, but also in the time that they spend, they make sure they have time to be given to God's word. Our last lesson, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2 in regard to how we save ourselves by sustaining ourselves with the spiritual sustenance. But I want us to notice there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, there is a great thirst for the person who has therefore indeed tasted the Lord is gracious. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if you have tasted the Lord is gracious. I want us to notice that word desire in the Greek is a Greek word epipatheo. And patheo, it's a compound word, patheo means to yearn. And I think we're familiar with the prefix epi. It's what we have in epipen to save a life from an allergic reaction. It's, it's concentrated, it's powerful. It'll, it'll wake that person right back up and deal with the problem that they're having in an allergic reaction. This is patheo to yearn, but it's epipatheo. It is as Vine or Strong defines it an intensely craved possession, to intensely crave a possession. And so in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, he's saying, not desire the pure milk of the word, but intensely yearn for the pure milk of the word. Is that true of us? That's a thirst we're called to have, but it's a thirst that must be nurtured. In Hebrews 5 and verses 12 through 14, the Hebrew writer addresses a problem of his audience of those who have become to need milk instead of solid food. And he explains because solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so evidently those who weren't able to partake of meat, even though they should have by this time, weren't able to do so because they weren't exercising their senses to discern both good and evil. That is, they weren't studying their word of God. They weren't meditating on the word of God. They weren't putting it into practice, the word of God. And therefore, they are now regressing to need milk again. That's a dangerous situation. He identifies it in chapter 6. He says in verse 4, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the power of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. He's describing a person who, although they have tasted the word of God, evidently didn't think it was so gracious like we see in First Peter 2 and verse 3. Therefore, they haven't continued in it. And there's been a regression to the point where they're in danger of apostasy. And he says, if apostasy comes from that from tasting that good word of God and therefore deciding I don't like it that much to continue in it, that person is in such danger that nothing can be said to them to renew them to repentance. Because everything that you can say to them, they've already rejected. It's not saying they can't repent. It's saying they cannot be renewed by another through the word of God to repentance. Because they already know all of it. And they rejected it. There's a great need to nurture that thirst to continue to feed it by studying God's word. The more and more we study it, not only the more and more we'll be filled, but the more and more we'll be hungry for it. We'll be thirsty for it. In Revelation 2 and verse 4, the church at Ephesus had a problem and it was noted that they had left their first love. We need not leave our first love, but remind ourselves of our first love. We can intensify our thirst by recalling too 
what we no longer have. Did you notice there in verse 4 of Psalm 42, he remembered the good times before? He said, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feet. Feast. It may be hard to think about what we don't have right now because we want it so bad, but I would encourage you to do it. Think about the things that we may have taken for granted that we no longer have. Think about how we don't get to do what we long to do, what we were glad to do, to go into the house of the Lord, to, to be with each other and to worship God. You see, times of sorrow and loss, they help us to appreciate the times of joy and plenty because we don't have them anymore. And we can remember the good now so that when it returns, we'll appreciate it more. And when the good returns and we're able to assemble together again, I would encourage you to remember when we weren't able to do it so we don't take it for granted. We need to remember what we had before that we lack at this time. Secondly, I want us to consider the fact that this psalm encourages us not to lose heart. He tells himself essentially in verse 5 and 11 to snap out of it. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for shall, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Why are you so discouraged? Don't be discouraged. God is still there and you can still hope for a better day in him. You know, that's what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so in a time of great turmoil and pain and anguish and suffering, there in the context, the Apostle Paul is speaking of all the things that he as an apostle is going through. And obviously there in verse 16 is pairing it up with those that all Christians go through and encouraging don't lose heart even though you're, you're suffering. You're going through persecution maybe. You're going through tribulation, perils of various kinds. You're in danger, whatever it may be. Maybe it's just that your physical man is going through the regularities of physical life. It's perishing. Don't lose heart. Remember that your inward man is being renewed day by day if you're taking hold of the Word of God. Remember that you've got a house not prepared with hands waiting for you as he goes into chapter 5. You have a glorious spiritual body and habitation, those mansions prepared by Jesus in John 14. Don't lose heart when times get rough. Don't lose heart now as we're apart from each other, but look to the good that we have as a certainty promised to us. Yes, our faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hold on to that. Grasp on to that. And dwell on that. We need to remember, as the psalmist notes, that God is still within our reach. Do you remember in verse 6 how he said, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mitzar. And we noted that that is very far away from Jerusalem, well north in the Mount Hermons. And then in verse 9, I will say to my God, even though I'm far away from him, I'll speak to him. I'll remember him. I'll dwell upon him. You see, God has made himself available to us. Paul noted that to the 
individuals of a pagan faith in Acts 17 on Mars Hill in Athens. In Acts 17, 26, he says that God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined the, their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow up for him and find him. Notice, though he is not far from each of us. That's true for those who are initially trying to seek the Lord, but it's true for us now. We don't get to assemble together now, but that doesn't mean that God's any further away from us than he was before. He's not far from each one of us. We can obviously see him in creation, but even more so, we as Christians know he's not far from each of us because we have his word right here. And we have his throne before us that we can bow before in prayer. I want us to notice what Paul quoted from in Romans 10, but it's from Deuteronomy 30 in verse 11, when Moses is setting blessing and cursing before the children of Israel, obviously encouraging them to choose blessing. But notice the words he uses in Deuteronomy 30 in verse 11. He says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Brethren, the word is very near us. It's in our heart and it can be in our heart because God has providentially sustained it throughout the ages. The New Testament is 2,000 plus years in its existence. And it will never be unavailable to us. We need to take advantage of it. And you know, in that, we can turn to God for comfort even in times we're apart from each other. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says that, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Yes, he's a God of all comfort. And as we quoted from Romans 14, 15 and verse 4 earlier, that comfort comes from the scriptures. Those things written before are written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. God is the God of all comfort, but he comforts us through his word. I'm reminded of Paul's discussion in the Thessalonian epistle, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 18, when there were some evidently in that church who were confused and worried about the Christians who had passed away physically. They had gone on before them. They're passed away. So what's going to happen to them? Are they going to be left behind at the day of judgment? But Paul comforted them by saying that they will be raised and we will join them together in the air to be forever with the Lord. And he ended that section of scripture with these words in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort with the word of God is something we need to turn to during this time of turmoil and sorrow. And you know, something else we can learn from Psalm 42 is that adversity is only for a moment. It's not for eternity. God has been very clear about that. We read in places like James 4 and verse 14, as we noted last sermon, that our life is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. And there in that context, it's with admonition toward those who are not prioritizing and they're acting as if 
their life is a long thing, but in reality it's a vapor and you need to make sure you're seeking the Lord God in a primary fashion. But you know, our life being but a vapor not only warns us to make sure we're utilizing it properly, it also comforts us because we know that the sorrows and anguish and pain we're experiencing in it, they're a vapor as well. It's just for a little while. They'll vanish away. And you know, the psalmist understood a better day was coming. Remember, he said in Psalm 42, verse 8, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night a song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. Even if this time and the pandemic never ends, we never get to see each other again, because our life is ended or God comes again, even if the pain you're going through now never comes to an end in your physical life, it will come to an end. In Revelation chapter 7, this great multitude is singing the new song in heaven, praising God. And we remember the scene in Revelation 7 where an elder asks John, Who are these? And John says, Sir, you know. And the elder responds with the knowledge that John said he had. Revelation 14 and verse four, 7 and verse 14 these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, they've come out of that tribulation. They're no longer in it. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. We need to be encouraged that a better day is coming, an eternal day, wherein there is no tribulation, there is no pain, there is no anguish, there is no sorrow, there are no tears. We need to hope in God, brethren. We need to be encouraged by His promises. And lastly, this psalm teaches us the importance of prayer and the fact that while we're apart from each other and we're experiencing these sorrows and heartaches, we need to be fervent. In prayer. We need to be constant in prayer. Remember there in Psalm 42, in verse 9, he returns to his anguish and his struggles, but he does it in a fashion of prayer. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? I'm going to turn to my rock, my foundation, and I'm going to cast this upon him, is what the psalmist is saying. Why are you disquieted within yourself? Why are you cast down? Hope in God and know that he's there. And he turns to God in prayer. Brethren, we need to be doing this. We need to realize, as James notes, the power of this medium of communication with God. It activates his wonderful and powerful providence. James 5 and verse 16 illustrates this when James writes confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much and he gives an example of how powerful prayer is when we pray to God things happen he says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours meaning he was no more special than we are he was a man just as we are now and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now don't confuse this with a wish list that God's just going to grant like that. We need to remember the words of 1 John 5 and verse 14. When John writes, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. You see, it was according to God's will that the rain stopped when Elijah prayed. And it was according to God's will that the rain would start again when Elijah prayed for it to come. We need to understand, as James 4 indicates, that we say, if the Lord wills, we shall live to do this and that. And we need to add that to our prayers. If not verbatim, then with an understanding heart that I think I need this or I know I want this, but God, I know you know more than anyone else. I know that you know what I need and I'm going to pray knowing the power of prayer and the ability you have, but I'm going to leave it up to you. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, brethren. And in recognizing the power of prayer, we need to recognize the mobility of prayer. You see, he was in the land of Jordan, Psalm 42, the psalmist was, in the land of the Hermonites, the mountains of Hermon, in the land of the hill of Mitzar. He was well beyond Jerusalem in the northern country of Jordan. But he prayed to God, nevertheless. I think we're reminded of Daniel under a time of captivity and Babylonian captivity and then the Medo-Persian Empire overtook the Babylonian Empire. That's where we find Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 after the governors and satraps of the king Darius of the Medes and the Persians signed a decree that no man shall petition or call upon any other man or God other than him else they'd receive the punishment of the den of the lions. Well, Daniel knew in Daniel 6 and verse 10 that the writing was signed, so he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And this was something he had been doing, as was his custom, since early days. I want us to notice a few things there that are quite obvious, but that we need to be reminded of. He said he knelt down and opened his knees or open his windows and on his knees toward Jerusalem. Which means he wasn't in Jerusalem. And we know that. Just like the psalmist, he was far away from Jerusalem. Yet he still could pray to God. And we note that he prayed and gave thanks before his God. He was before God. He wasn't away from God. He was away from the temple, but he wasn't away from God. He was before his God as he prayed. We need to understand the boundless nature of prayer, that it's mobile. We can use it anywhere we find ourselves. That's why the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And he noted in verse 8, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men pray everywhere. It doesn't matter where we are. If we're faithful to God and therefore we have that avenue of prayer open to us and our sin has not closed his ear that he cannot hear like Isaiah 59 and verses 1 and 2 tell us, but we have that access that anywhere we are we can pray. And if we pray, then our prayers ascend to his very throne. Revelation 5 and verse 8 speaks of golden bowls of full of incense in that throne room scene that are at the feet of the Lord, and it identifies them as the prayers of the saints. We need to know the power of prayer, and yes, we need to know that prayer is mobile, and since we understand those things, then we need to acknowledge that God cares for us, and that prayer will cast those cares upon Him. In 1 Peter 
chapter 5 and in verse 6, the apostle writes, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. You know, the psalmist understood that God was his rock, which means that God was his support and foundation made for times like he was going through, where deep calls to the deep and the waves and the billows rush over his head. He's overwhelmed, but he knows God cares. God's there for him to rest upon. You know, it amazes us how caring God is toward us. And the psalmist was amazed in Psalm 8 and verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. What is man that God is mindful of him? Well, man is made in the image of God, and God loves us and cares for us, so, so go to him. We should never think for a moment that something is too small, too insignificant, for God to care and be bothered with. You know, we struggle with that in relationships with fellow man. We may struggle to go to our, our very loved ones, our spouse or our, our parents, with something that we may think they just don't want to be bothered with. And oftentimes we're surprised by how much they do care and that they're there for us. How much more so our Father, who is in heaven, He cares for you. Recognize that and appeal to him in prayer. Like Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And once we know the power of prayer, the mobility of prayer, and acknowledge that God cares, then we need to go to him in prayer ceaselessly. We need to always be praying as 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Be constant in prayer, brethren. Make sure you make time to pray to God. Take advantage of the extra time we have and cast your care upon Him in that prayer. Pray without ceasing. Take advantage of this tool. And as you take advantage of this tool, enjoy the peace that God offers. Don't be anxious anymore. Remember the psalmist said in Psalm 42 and verse 5, Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God and praise Him for the help of His countenance. Stop worrying. Stop being anxious. It paralyzes us to where we can't do the things that God wants us to do. Instead, let's snap out of it and make sure that we cast our care upon Him so that anxiety can be taken away. Paul noted that in Philippians 4 and verse 6, when he said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. When we are burdened with care and anxiety, and we decide to give that to the one who is able, in control, to help us, in our need. There is a peace which will envelop us. Where the waves and the billows rushed over the head of the psalmist in Psalm 42, especially as he noted that in the seventh verse, deep calls unto deep. When he casts his cares upon God in prayer, I guarantee you, peace ushered in. And it overwhelmed him and took place of those waves of turmoil. 
and anguish. God is in control. We can petition him to help us in time of need, and he will give us a peace as he's taking care of our problems. We need to not worry. Jesus said that worrying is useless. It doesn't help us at all. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? The answer is a resounding none of you. No one has ever accomplished anything by worrying except for the detriment of our situation. It only causes harm. It never ends in peace. Cast your cares upon him. Be anxious for nothing. Let his peace rule your hearts. And consider what the psalmist ended this psalm with. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I want us to be encouraged by this psalm, and I want to encourage you to reflect upon this psalm while we're unable to meet in a congregational setting. While we're not able to meet physically to worship God together and edify one another in that way and encourage one another in that one another in that way, remember the psalmist couldn't meet anymore either. He remembered how he used to be able to go with the multitude with them to the house of God and with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. And he remembered that, but he couldn't do it at that time. He was in a foreign land away from that ability. Brethren, we're doing that as well at this time. We cannot assemble together, but don't lose heart. Remember that God's not far from you. Cast your care upon him. Make sure that you are encouraged that he is still with us and that he is here to help. I hope that this lesson was of benefit to you. Again, I'm sorry about any technical difficulties. I saw it go in and out a few times. There really was nothing I could do about it unless I stopped everything and reset everything. That would have taken too long and been a little too confusing. So, so hopefully it it went well enough for you to follow along and receive some edification. I recorded the audio, so if for some reason the archived video actually cuts out some things, which I'm I'm suspecting it probably will, then then I encourage you to go there and listen to the audio where you can get it all seamlessly and, and have that put together in a way that will be a little better than maybe this was. But I hope that it was beneficial to you. Again, we're going to have Bible class on Wednesday like we have been at 7 o'clock through this medium. And then we'll return the following Sunday if we're still not able to meet and we'll have these sermons again. I hope that you have a blessed day and I hope that you are continued to be encouraged by the word of the Lord. I thank you for your kind attention.